Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. Merry Christmas and welcome to today's episode, Simply Christmas. Today, my guests are my wife, Kelly, and our daughters, Jennifer, Katie, and Jamie. Given that people often stress out over the holidays by overbooking their schedules and overspending their money, we thought it would be a good idea to share some short stories from our family tree that reflect upon some simpler times and heartfelt gifts. As you sit back, relax, and listen, we hope these stories, which will be read by my family, will inspire you to slow down and enjoy this holiday season. I'm going to start by asking my daughter, Jamie, to read the first story which is called A Donut and a Penny. This story is from actually a post that I found on Ancestry.com from a distant cousin who drew this excerpt from a book that was called Recollections of Army Life in the Frontier West, which was authored by Fanny Dunbar Corbusier. This excerpt tells of a letter that was sent to some other cousins back in 1890 from an elderly lady who was a three times great aunt of mine, recounting her Christmas back in 1830 at her grandmother's house in Rockland County, New York. The story is short, but it's got some really cool details in it that really bring you back to a simpler time. So I'm going to ask my daughter Jamie to read that story for us. This is a story about a donut and a penny. I can look back to my childhood days and recollect what a gala day it was on Christmas. We were a large family, and each one tried to get to his or her stocking first early in the morning. They were hung at a large open fireplace so that Santa Claus might see them as he came down the chimney and into the room to fill them with his big bag that was so full of good things. Thirteen children hustled to get there to peep in and see what they had. After breakfast, the big sled was hitched up, the bottom covered with straw, blankets, and robes thrown in, and the children piled in back of mother with a baby in her lap and father who sat in a chair. Then we were off to Granny Myers three miles away near Rockland Lake. When we reached the old brown stone house, there was a scampering to get out of the blankets and into the house where each was received with an old-fashioned hug and many kisses. Then for a high old time. Great basketfuls of walnuts, hickory nuts, and chestnuts Some of the latter from the old tree where my grandfather, George, hid when his father, Garrett Myers, who was taken by the British during the Revolutionary War. The big cellar was full of apples and all sorts of country good things, which we were free to take on Christmas as we were not slow to get among them. When we returned home at night, Granny Myers gave us each a donut and a big copper penny, which made us just as happy as children are in these days with all the beautiful toys that money can buy. The donuts were cut in the shape of a boy. At least they had a body, head, legs, and arms. If we happened to break one, we could eat it, but you boys cannot eat your toys when you break them. Times have changed in the 60 years since then. Thank you very much, Jamie, for reading that story. You can almost imagine how happy I was, excited I was when I read this story because it gave me a glimpse back into the history of my family that I didn't even know. It took me into the living quarters of my four times great-grandmother. It helped me be a part of that Christmas back in 1830. It referred to Grandpa Myers, George Myers, being up in a walnut tree. Well, the story there was that his father was captured by the Tories during the Revolutionary War. 
George hid up in the walnut tree so he wouldn't get caught. And the Tories actually fired up into the tree thinking he might be up there, but fortunately they missed. So all that history got mingled into that one little Christmas story. But I think the bigger theme in that story is that the lady writing it is telling about a simple time where she spent this wonderful Christmas with her 12 siblings, her mom and dad, and her grandma. And while the gift that they got, a donut, which she promptly ate, and a penny, doesn't sound like much to us today. It meant the world to her. So much that 60 years later, she remembered it like it was yesterday. So now, I'd like to ask my wife Kelly to share the second story, which is called The Sugar Mouse. I'm going to give a little detail on this one, a little background story. The Sugar Mouse story was a story I heard about quite a bit as a little boy. My grandma my mother's mom, grew up in Hampshire, England, very rural area. Her father was a laborer, and they had very little money. They had 10 children. One of the children, or one of my grandmother's siblings, had grown and left the house at the time, but she was there with her eight other siblings. And this tells of a Christmas back in 1905. So I'd like Kelly to share that story with us right now. The Sugar Mouse. There once was a five-year-old girl named Dolly who lived with her mother, father, and eight siblings in an old thatch cottage in Hampshire, England. Dolly's father was a farm laborer, and her family was very poor. It was Christmas 1905 when Dolly received what would be her favorite Christmas gift ever. On that Christmas morning, Dolly awoke very early and tiptoed out of her bedroom, careful not to wake her sisters since they all shared the same room. It was just about dawn and the dim early morning light had just begun to strain through the frosted window panes of the cottage. Dolly heard her older brother Herb outside gathering wood for the fireplace. That's how they heated their home in those days. Her mom was already awake, dressed and stoking the fire in the hearth to get it hot enough to make tea for the family. Although Dolly attempted to hide her presence from her mom, fearing that she would be sent back to bed, the creaking floorboards beneath her feet gave her away. Her mom called out, "'Good morning, Dolly!' Her mom then asked her to fetch her brother and sister since the tea was ready. They were all excited to see if Father Christmas had left something for them in their stockings. Dolly's heart pounded as she woke up the others with a loud, Wake up, everyone! Father Christmas has paid us a visit. The night before, on Christmas Eve, Dolly's mom had taken the children to the candlelight services at the church in Heckfield. When they returned home, they all hung their stockings above the fireplace and went straight to bed. Now, on Christmas morning, each of the nine stockings had something inside of them. Within a few minutes of the whole family gathering for tea, Dolly and her siblings were very anxiously waiting for their mom's nod to search their stockings for gifts. Before they began, however, Dolly's mom opened the back door of the cottage and shouted to Herb to come in and join the family. After all, Herb had a gift in his stocking as well. All the children were filled with joy as they reached into their stockings and found a piece of fruit and a sweet. Dolly was overjoyed when she found that her sweet was made in the shape of a little mouse. What a wonderful gift, she thought, as she looked at the delicious work of art. As the day progressed, they enjoyed a rare meal of kidney pie for their supper. All day, Dolly debated as to whether she should keep the sugar mouse or eat it. Well, as the sun set that evening and the children prepared for bed, Dolly ate her sugar mouse, and it was delicious. Dolly would go on to survive two world wars and live to be 84 years old. 
Over the years, she spoke fondly of that wonderful Christmas gift she received as a child in Hampshire, England. Thank you, Kelly, for reading that story. This story means a lot to me. I grew up listening to this, and my grandma was just a sweetheart, just loved her, and she used to buy me little presents once in a while, even when it was not Christmas or my birthday, she'd buy me little presents. And I remember what joy that gave me. But I always also remember her telling about the sugar mouse. My grandma had an amazing life. My grandmother was actually in the Royal Air Force in World War One, And during World War Two in London, during the Blitz, she was a fire warden. So she was a very brave little lady. She loved to recount the story of the sugar mouse because I think she wanted us to hear how the amount that something is worth or the quantity of things that you get in dollars doesn't mean so much as the thought behind it and the ability to spend time with loved ones, quality time. So I'm very thankful for that story about the sugar mouse. I'll never forget it. So I wrote that story out of my, or should I say from my recollections of what my grandma used to tell me. I'd now like to ask my daughter Jennifer to read the next story called The Gingerbread Santa. This story comes from my wife Kelly's family tree. Jennifer. The Gingerbread Santa. During the Christmas season, sometime in the late 1960s, at a small apartment on Stanhope Street in Brooklyn, New York, lived a kindly little grandmother named Katie, whom her grandchildren called Nanny. Katie had lived in her apartment for a long, long time, and she knew everybody in the neighborhood very well. Many of the local shopkeepers there knew her by her name and looked forward to seeing her often. Since it was Christmas, Katie found herself busying around more than usual in order to find special gifts for her 10 grandchildren. Although she had very little money, she wanted to make sure she had something nice to give each one of them. It always made her happy to see the joy on their faces when they opened their presents, which she always wrapped in white tissue paper covered with red and green sparkles. After completing her shopping, Katie decided to make one more stop before returning to her home. That last stop every year was to her favorite bakery and pastry shop called Rudy's on Seneca Avenue. As she walked into the bakery, Katie was met with smiles and a Merry Christmas from the baker, who would always offer her a sample of treats to taste. And this time, it was some delicious, freshly baked gingerbread. As Katie looked in the glass cases, deciding what to purchase, she saw a tray full of gingerbread men topped with a paper picture of an old-fashioned Santa Claus. They were large cookies, and she knew right away her grandchildren would love them. They were each wrapped very carefully, placed in a box, and tied with red and white string. Several days later, on Christmas Day, the grandchildren came to visit. Nanny handed out the gifts for each one, and everybody had a gingerbread Santa attached to their gift. All of the grandchildren were thrilled. Those gingerbread Santas were very special because she knew her nanny didn't have much money and that the gifts came from her heart. Thank you very much, Jennifer. I'd like to ask my wife, Kelly, to share a few thoughts on that story. Kelly, what does this story mean to you? I know you and I pieced this story together based on your memories of your grandma and that special time. Can you tell us how much that meant to you? Sure. And like I said in the story, that she didn't have a lot of money, but she really did have a lot of love for everybody. And she always wanted to do something special for us. 
she was by far not the best wrapper of presents. <laughs> uh, things kind of looked a little pieced together, but it was it was her. It was the way she did things, and you know, it really didn't matter because she really tried to get each one of us something special. And then those gingerbread cookies are something we look forward to every single year. They had those paper Santas on them, and half the time the glue would stick, and we'd have to we'd be eating paper along with the cookie. And uh, but that's just the way it was. And every year she went to that bakery, and a few years ago. You had purchased a dozen of them for me one Christmas morning, and I had no idea. So I was quite surprised and very touched that that you had done that for me. Well, I figured it was either that or an iron, and I thought maybe you would appreciate the <laughs> the gingerbread cookies more. Yeah, I think the cookies were a better choice. <laughs> well, you couldn't hit me with a gingerbread cookie as hard as you could an iron, I guess. But uh, well, I had I had always heard uh, since we've been married the story about those gingerbread Santas and how much they meant to you. And I know they just really bring you back to your grandma's kindness or your nanny's kindness, I should say. So thank you yes, for joining me. Thank you. You're welcome. I'd like to now ask my daughter, Katie, to share with us a story called The Horseshoe. The Horseshoe is a story that I wrote to recount something that happened probably about 20 years ago when we were on vacation down in Virginia that brings back very special memories for me. So I'd like to ask my daughter Katie to read that for us. The Horseshoe. This story begins way back in the year 1862 in a place called Berkeley Plantation in the state of Virginia. At that time, a great civil war was taking place in our country between the northern and southern states. A very large northern army was stationed at Berkeley Plantation. This army was made up of many men and horses. While the horses were there, some of them wore out their shoes and had to have new ones put on on their hooves. The old shoes were then thrown out by the blacksmiths, and they remained in the plantation grounds, covered with dirt, for over a hundred years. One day, many years later, our family visited the plantation and took a tour of the grounds and museum. While in the museum, I saw a box filled with rusted horseshoes that had been dug up from the grounds of the plantation. These were the same ones that had come from the hooves of the horses from the Civil War. When I looked in the box, I saw a sign that read, For sale, $15 each. I really wanted one of those horseshoes, but felt $15 at the time was a lot of money. I decided to not get it because I couldn't justify spending that amount on a rusty old relic, no matter how much I wanted it. So I walked away from the box and our family left the museum. We traveled back home to New Jersey the next day. One month later, it was Christmas Day. As was tradition, our family gathered around the Christmas tree to open gifts. After almost all the gifts had been opened, my wife Kelly pointed to one last gift under the tree. It was in a small gift bag with red tissue paper in it. It had a tag on it that said, To James, Love Kelly. I couldn't think what it was, but when I opened the bag, I was overjoyed to see that it contained the old, rusty horseshoe from the plantation. Apparently, Kelly saw me looking at the horseshoes and knew that I wanted one. I was thrilled. Even though it was only an old horseshoe, 
It meant the world to me because I knew my wife loved me enough to surprise me with that special gift. To this very day, I keep that horseshoe in a glass case as a reminder that gifts don't have to be shiny, sparkling, or expensive to be special. Thank you very much, Katie, for reading that. This story is dear to my heart because I got to say that when I found that rusty horseshoe under my Christmas tree, I was literally like a kid on Christmas for two reasons. One, oh, how I wanted that horseshoe. (laughs) Being a big history buff, knowing that that horseshoe was on the hoof of one of General McClellan's horses during the Civil War encampment that took place there back in 1862. The other and more important thing that was exciting to me was that my wife Kelly had taken the time to see me hovering over that box of rusted horseshoes and knew that that meant something to me. She went ahead and ordered that without me knowing. Of course, I'm not too quick on the uptake anyway, so I, I was totally surprised when I got it. And I keep it in a glass case, and it always reminds me of my wife's love and also that it reminds me of that time that we went as a family together down to Virginia and we spent Thanksgiving together. And then, of course, we were all around. The girls all saw that gift when I opened it. I think it really drives home the whole point of this particular podcast is that simple is sometimes best. I hope that these stories have helped our listeners see the value of the simple Simple gifts, simple times together. A simple can mean very fulfilling, very enjoyable, very joy-filled. The most important gift is the gift of time to those we love. So I want to thank my family so much, Kelly, Jennifer, Katie, and Jamie, for joining me today and helping to share these stories, which I wrote to really recount stories that have been told in our family. And, of course, the even older story, which thrilled me to find out about. And I want to encourage all of you to keep digging into your family trees and find stories. You might find one like I found, about a X number of great-grandmother or father who had a special time that you can learn about. But also, think about today, making simple memories now. I'd like to wish all our listeners a safe, and happy and healthy Christmas, holiday season, and a very happy new year. And until next time, keep discovering and telling stories that inspire you and others. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.